Before we dive into our text today, I want to start off with a little bit of a recap where we've come so far in the book of 1 John. So let's open our Bibles up to 1 John. In chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John begins the letter by talking all about Jesus. He was the message they received. He was the message they proclaimed. And Jesus was the message that people believed. Jesus is eternal life made manifest. And we learn that John is writing to the churches in his area so that their joy may be complete. John is a pastor, and he's writing so that his flock will have joy in Christ. And last week, we looked at uh, verses 5 all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. And John's main thought was that God is light. So he's moving from the prologue into this main idea. God is light. And because God is light, we've got to take sin seriously. We can't claim to be sinless or to ignore our sin. We can't fall into the temptation to think that we can do whatever we want now because we have God's grace. We have to kill sin and live in light as Jesus is in the light. But we also have to rely upon the wonderful truth that even when we do sin, this is chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John's writing so that we may not sin, but when we do sin, we have a great high priest, right? He's our sacrifice on the cross. John's been spending time on this because there were many who had left the church. Uh, we, we called these people the secessionists, the, the leavers. That's what we'll continue to call them. And these people claimed to be without sin. And John said they, they'd actually deceived themselves. They were doing whatever they wanted. They thought they had the right understanding of things, but they had deceived themselves. They were lying. And John's going to continue to deal with these individuals in today's passage in a, in a more direct way. Our text today is 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. So let's stand together. Let's stand and read God's word. Again, that's 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, going to verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness." and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Please be seated and let's pray. 
Father, this morning we ask that you would show us individually how we can align our hearts and our lives with your word. If there are changes we need to make, we pray that you would show us those uh, very clearly. We pray that you would encourage us this morning by your word and help us to live uh, in light of your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. These secessionists claim three different things in our text today. Three different things. They claim in verse 4 that they know God. They claim in verse 6 that they abide in Him. And they claim in verse 9 that they are in the light. Each of these statements starts with John saying, whoever says. John is unconvinced that the secessionists are doing any of these three things. Knowing God, abiding in Him, or are in the light. And if we are going to make these claims... John says we have to follow them up with how we live. We have to walk the walk. So let's look at each of these claims individually and, set, uh, and look at what John says about them. So first, if we claim to know God, John says we need to keep his commandments. Verse 3 doesn't mince any words. By this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments... That's a statement about assurance, right? Assurance is a wonderful biblical truth that you can know that you are saved. John says, we know that we know him. That's about assurance. How can we claim to have a relationship with God? Easy. In in John's mind, that's easy. We keep his commandments. You may say, Caleb, that sounds like salvation by works. But as we saw last week, someone who's saved by the blood of Jesus walks in the light. They don't continue to practice sin. So we we can say it positively, right? We'd say that a saved person follows the commandments of God. And that's where we're supposed to start. We don't start with our feelings or a general sense of having a relationship with Jesus. We don't start with our knowledge that we know X, Y, and Z about God. We start with the question in assurance with this. Do we do what he wants us to do? That's where John starts. That's where we should start. Oftentimes we're told that following commandments or being obedient is old religious stuff. But Christianity is just all about a relationship. The two are pitted against each other. We're told that there can't be a real relationship if one side is dictating the behavior of the other side. That that can't be loving or something like that. But John doesn't agree. He says that if we're truly going to know that we know God, we start by looking at our behavior. Do we follow his commandments? And verse 4 is even stronger. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's the first of the whosoever says in the passage. Whosoever says, I know him. He's talking about those who had left the church. They were claiming to know God. But they didn't even keep his commandments. 
And that tells us something really important. Those who know God can't be characterized as disobedient to God's commandments. It's pretty basic for John. On the contrary, those who truly know God, who really know him, know what's required of them. Remember, God is light. That's where John starts. And because of that, sin is a serious thing. If we really know God, we would know he takes sin seriously. But also we would know that his commandments aren't a burden. They're good. They're good for us, and they're given to us for our good. So now's the time to ask the question, what exactly are God's commandments? What, do, what does John mean? What do I mean by God's commandments? Well, for starters, it certainly isn't anything less than what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. A Sadducee lawyer walks up to Jesus and asks him a trick question. What is the greatest commandments? Do you, do you guys remember this story? It's a trick question because you're not supposed to have a favorite commandment or, or to say what the greatest commandment is. Uh, you're not supposed to say that one is better than another. But Jesus says this, and it was our meditation this morning. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So instead of giving the answer that the lawyer expects, like uh, there is no greatest commandment, they're all great, or even picking a particular commandment and falling into the lawyer's trap, Jesus brilliantly summarizes the whole law. Love God with everything you are and love people like you love yourself. These are God's commandments to us. This is how we should be characterized as Christians. If we say that we know God, but our dedication to him is lacking, as if we don't have a real relationship with him in one of these many ways, or if we harbor some type of hatred for a fellow brother or sister in Christ or even a certain people group, then can we really say that we know God in chapter 1, verse 6, there are two offenses that these secessionists who claim to know God commit. They lie and the truth is not in him. But John is even stronger here in chapter 2, verse 4. He calls them liars. This should serve as a grave warning to us, right? If we claim to really know God, we should do what he wants. And we can easily trick ourselves into thinking that we know God. But if we don't even know what he wants from us, is that true? Or worse, if we don't care to follow what he wants from us, even if we do know it, can we say we have a relationship with him? I don't think so. That doesn't mean that we'll always love God perfectly or love other people perfectly. Uh, or that we have to do that in order to have a vibrant relationship with God. But if his commandments aren't even on our minds at all, then John says that's a problem. And he goes on, but whoever keeps his word 
in him, truly the love of God is perfected. You know, I, I love this translation. I'm reading out of the ESV. I love it, but sometimes it translates sentences kind of funny in an attempt to keep the same word order from the Greek. The New Living Translation looks at this sentence and translates it like this. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. I think that's great. That's the idea. We show the world how much we love God when we follow his commandments. And James famously said, if you could quote one line from the book of James, it would probably be this. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, right? That's what John is saying here. It's the same idea. We can't claim to know God, to actually have a relationship with him and not follow his commandments. It's so basic to what it means to be a Christian. To John, it doesn't make any sense at all. If you really know God, if his word is in you and you desire to keep it, you would follow his commandments. To love him with everything you are and to love other people as yourself. In this way, your love for God is completed. It's perfected. It's fully realized. And by this, we can know that we are in him. That's how verse five ends. The ESV has a colon at the end of that statement modifying verse six, like it's leading into verse six. But I think John is finishing his thought here. He's saying that as we look back on our lives and we see ourselves following God's commandments, we can see at the same time that we really know him. As we want to follow his commandments, as we realize that they are good for us, we can see we have a vibrant relationship with God. If you know somebody and you love them, you want to do what they want. That's just kind of relationship 101, right? It's the same with our relationship with God. But following God's commandments isn't all there is to the Christian walk. It's one thing to know God, and it's another thing to abide in him. So if we claim to abide in God, second, we must walk as he walked. Verse six says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's the second claim the false teachers are making. They claim to abide in him. And I'm sure that really rubbed John the wrong way because this word abide is one of John's absolute favorite words. He uses it all the time, all throughout his gospel. We'll see it many more times throughout 1 John. And it's a powerful word and concept. I would suggest to you, uh, if you are an underliner or a note taker in your Bible as we walk through 1 John, this is the word to underline, abide. Underline abide every time it pops up. Uh, and see, see what John's theology looks like and how it's dependent upon this idea to abide or to remain. That's another way it's translated. I think that the concept of abiding in Christ is most powerfully displayed and explained in John chapter 15, verses four through five. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this metaphor of the vine and the branches communicates a lot to us about what it means to continually, day after day, abide in Christ. We are the branches. And if we have no connection to the vine, our fruit will wither and die. So unless we're conjoined with Christ, abiding in him inseparably, our spiritual well-being, our relationship with God, will also wither and die. So to claim to abide in him is to claim to have a vital relationship with Jesus. It's to claim to have a dependent relationship with him. It means that Jesus is the source of our spiritual vitality. It means putting away our wants and desires, putting away ourselves, and wholeheartedly following Jesus. Abiding in Christ is the greatest metaphor for discipleship. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian faith. Those who abide in Christ look to him as their source and supply of every need, as their king and their Lord, and as their God. But John says that those who abide in him also ought to walk in the way in which he walked. You see, if we're really joined to Christ, then we should look like him. Can I get an amen? Just like a branch looks like the tree it's attached to. The branch of of a tree has the same DNA. It's part of the same organism as the tree itself. That's what we're talking about here with us in Christ. The Holy Spirit, by God's grace, has joined us to Christ inseparably. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. And as a tree determines what its branch looks like and gives life to the branch it's attached to, so it is with us in Christ. He is the source of our life and vitality. And he determines what we look like and how we should act. That's why it would seem really ridiculous to John for someone to claim to abide in him and not walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay? So what does it mean to walk like Jesus? Some have taken that command really literally. They grow their hair out really long and dress like a hippie because they think that's what Jesus looked like maybe and they want to kind of look like him. Or they carry a massive cross with them wherever they go. That's not what Jesus means. That's not what John means. Our lives should be patterned after Christ's. But even in that statement, what I just said, patterned after Christ, there can be confusion. Is it just that we have to be as good as possible? Jesus didn't sin, so we have to try really hard not to sin? Does that mean that the what would Jesus do wristbands are the height of what it means to be a Christian? No, there's more to it than that, right? Those who abide in Christ walk as he walked, not as a legalistic practice, but as a natural consequence of grace. If you've been listening, maybe a question that has come up in your mind that you've been wondering is, 
about all this talk of commandments, um, does this sound pretty legalistic? Does it sound like you have to do certain things in order to be able to say you have a relationship with Jesus? John says we can only know God if we follow his commands. And to some, that might sound like works without grace. But that's not John's point. That's, that's not true. For one thing, the good news of the gospel is this. You don't deserve to have a relationship with God at all. You didn't care one lick about his commandments. But because of Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying for your sins, and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are now joined with Christ, united with him. Praise the Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. You are united to Christ. Eternal life starts now, right? That's what John says in chapter one. But it's ridiculous then to say, I can go live like I used to live without regard to sin or what Jesus would want because you're united to the holy God, right? It's not legalism to say those who are united inseparably through love and grace eternally with Christ would not look like him. It doesn't make sense to claim to abide in Christ and not walk as he walked. John isn't trying to be legalistic. He's not trying to place laws upon us. He's trying to be reasonable. It's unreasonable to claim that you know God and don't want what he wants. Jesus himself lived out this pattern of life. He was fully dedicated to the Lord in everything he did. He is the perfect example of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And at the same time, Jesus was far from legalistic. He didn't do these things simply out of a sense of duty. He did them from a heart of love. Jesus always abides in the Father. So he can't help but look like the Father. He says in John 10, verse 30, something magnificent. He says this, I and the Father are one. Now that's a deeply Trinitarian truth. Jesus is at the same time God, just as the Father is God, but he is not the Father. So what does he mean? Jesus also said in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Again, does this mean that Jesus is the Father? No. We know that the Son is not the Father, right? So what does he mean? Again, Jesus says in John 14, 31, I do all the Father has commanded of me. Aha. Uh -huh. Now we're getting somewhere. Jesus is so united to the Father that he perfectly reveals the Father. There's no human being on earth who revealed the Father the same way Jesus could because he abided in the Father. It could be said that if you were looking at Jesus Christ, it was the same as looking at the Father. That's how perfectly Jesus revealed and obeyed him. That's what Jesus says to Stephen. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What does this all have to do with us? 
We're told that if we abide in Christ, we should walk as he walked. So let me ask you a really important question. Do you look like Jesus? Not physically, of course. But are you so united to him that his character seeps out of you? That you just can't help but let his grace and goodness flow out of your day-to-day life? Could it be said of you that when someone interacts with you, that you sound and act like Jesus? That's not legalism. That's an abiding relationship. That's a living faith. That's what John is saying. If we say we abide in Christ, we should walk as he walked. One leads naturally from the other. As Christ abided in the Father, he did everything he was commanded to do, and he wanted to. It's the same with us. If we are united with Christ, abiding in him, we would look like he looked. We would walk as he walked. The false teachers were claiming to abide in Christ without having their lives changed at all. But they made a third claim. They claimed to live in the light. So third, if we claim to be in the light, we must love each other. Let's read verses 7 through 11 again. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verses 7 through 8 are interesting, right? At first, they seem like a contradiction. How can something be an old and a new commandment? Well, it's an old commandment because to love God and to love people is not a novel idea in the scriptures, right? As Jesus himself says, it summarizes the whole law. We've had these commandments from the beginning, But it's a new commandment because Jesus called it a new commandment in John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus himself says this is a new commandment. So John John heard this new commandment in person many, many years before he wrote the book of 1 John. So to John, it's the new commandment, but it's an old commandment. It's been around for a long time. And now he's bringing it up again for his audience. It's part of their culture. The, the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples is now a well-known saying in John's community. And it should be in our community too, right? This is, this is what Jesus has commanded us to do, the new commandment. And John gives the exact words of that commandment that they would know in chapter three, verse 23, which we'll come to in a few weeks. He says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. 
And this commandment was true in them, and it was true in Christ, John says in verse 8. And because of their belief in Christ and their love for one another, the darkness was passing away, and the true light was already shining. This was a church whose love for Jesus and for each other caused sin, darkness, to decrease. That's amazing, right? I, I hope that could be said of this church, that our love for one another and our belief in Jesus Christ causes sin to decrease, for darkness to pass away and for it to cause the light of Christ to shine to the world. What an amazing idea. But there were those who thought they were in the light and who disregarded the old and new commandment to love each other. And again, that just didn't make any sense to John. You can't say you're in the light and hate your brother. Of course not. Remember these false teachers, the secessionists, They left the fellowship because they thought they were superior. They had disdain and hatred for anyone who disagreed with them. They thought of themselves as holders of true knowledge. Have you guys heard the word that's sometimes used by preachers uh, to sound fancy? Gnostic or Gnosticism? Okay, that, that comes about in Christianity maybe a century later. But right now, these are the precursors. They were claiming to hold knowledge, and they left. They claimed to know him, but they didn't act like they actually did. They hated the brothers and sisters in Christ that they had. They left that fellowship. These teachers focused on nothing but but head knowledge. They had no regard for the lives of other people. They thought they had been enlightened and that other people weren't important any longer because they were still in the dark. But John tells us that whoever loves his brother, meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, these are the ones who abide in the light. And that's what the word, uh, notice that word again in verse 10, underline it, abide. Abiding in Christ and abiding in the light are the same thing. Jesus is the light, remember? Remember? Jesus is the light. And those who abide in the light have no cause for stumbling, meaning they've no cause for sin. They live as Jesus lived. They walk as Jesus walked, so they're on stable ground. But those who hate their brothers stumble around in the darkness by themselves. They're unstable. They're wishy-washy. They have no clue what's going on. These people may claim to have real knowledge of spiritual things. They may claim to actually abide in him and to live in the light, but without love, they have nothing. Following God's commandments and walking as Jesus walked has practical application. That's John's whole point. The practical outpouring of obeying commandments and abiding in Christ is love. Love. It's loving other people, but it's especially loving brothers and sisters in Christ. It has to at least start there. That's what John is saying. Those who walk in the light are those who love the brothers, the church. At the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you've heard it before, you maybe have it memorized, or at least you've heard it at a wedding. 
Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, you could be a a really super-duper Christian, someone who talks to angels and moves literal mountains with your faith, but if you lack love for one another, a practical love, you have nothing. I'm not talking about something theoretical, as in, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be really nice, or, oh, sure, yeah, I love the church. I mean, having real relationships with one another, practically, actually loving on each other when somebody is in need, caring for that need. When someone needs a brother or sister in Christ, being that brother or sister in Christ, loving one another as Christ loved us. This is the new family of God. This is the church. And this is the place where love works itself out. Amen? Those who walk in the light love their brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a dear missionary friend who works in the inner city. And this guy is a very fiery preacher. I've heard him preach on several occasions. And nowadays, he, his church no longer is around, so he's not preaching week to week. He gets asked to preach at different places. And so I've heard that message like four or five times. And his favorite line is this, and I'm going to steal it because it's a really good line. He says, we are called to love God with all we got and love people till we drop. And we live in the intersection of loving God and loving people. But it's at intersections where most accidents occur on the road. But that's where Jesus lives too. I think that's really good. Do we live at that intersection of loving God and loving people, following God's commandments? Loving each other isn't an easy task, but as we've seen from the scriptures, it's what it means to be a Christian. The most basic thing, John says, is to follow God's commandments, to walk as Jesus walked, to abide in the light by loving each other. Lake Morton Community Church is a great place to belong, to love his people, and to love our surrounding community. So I'm going to boldly ask you something. If you've not considered it, maybe you have, or maybe I'll just be asking you to reconsider it. I'd ask you to pray about membership today. Because this is a very practical text. Abide in the light by loving each other. We'd love to have you in our family, not just as guests, but as part of us, to love on you and to receive your love. 
But maybe you're here today and you've never felt like you've belonged anywhere before. The gospel of Jesus Christ welcomes you into a new family. Like I said, he died on the cross so we could be, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, adopted as sons and daughters by the Father. So have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is that true of you? Do so today, if not. Hear the call to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Spend some time in reflection. Spend some time in rejoicing. And maybe even now placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be a people who walk the walk. We don't want to be fake Christians. We don't want to just look like maybe we have it going on. Lord, we truly want to know you and abide in you and be in the light. Lord, we pray that you would help us day by day to keep your commandments, which is not always easy, but we know by your spirit as you save us, it will become easier and easier. So we trust you. We thank you for that. We pray that we would abide in you and walk as you walked. Not as an attempt to look like something that we are not, but because we can't help but proclaim you to the world, to look like you, Jesus, to the people around us. And we pray that you would help us to be in the light. And we know we can only be in the light if we love each other. So that we pray that wouldn't be a secondary thing on our minds. We ask that that would be primary, that we would love you with everything we are and love people as ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death and your resurrection. We pray that it would be on our minds now as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.